talked to some of y'all about this before, about how I feel when I get out on the highway. I think I share that sentiment with a lot of you. You know, there are a lot of crazy people out there. My word for them under my breath is idiot, stupid, to myself. I don't say that to them, you know. Uh, but, you know, when I get out on the road, as I've confessed before, we're getting a little bit of feedback. There we go. I realize that I are one of them. You know what I mean? For example, the day that I was on the access road, and it always happens in Arlington. I don't know why, Joe but, and, and Mike, but... <clears throat> Uh, I was in a part of Arlington that I don't drive in frequently, but I was on the access road going to Randall Mill on the north side of I-30. Some of y'all know where that is. And the road takes a big turn. And over here, it's two lanes, and over here, it's one lane. And I knew I wanted to go that way. And there wasn't a no-enter sign. And I was thinking, okay, now, which of those two roads do I take? Does that road go that way, or do they both go together? And so I took the left road which was the wrong way. And to my horror, after about 50 feet, I looked up and there were cars coming at me. <laughs> and there was not a red disc with a white thing on it saying do not enter. There wasn't a wrong way sign there. And I, fortunately, there was a little turnoff and I got out of the way. 350 people each year in America get killed because of that. Usually going on to an off-ramp the wrong way are going on to an on-ramp the wrong way. Most of the time it's at night. 80% of the time it's at night. And most of the time the people are a little inebriated. I wasn't inebriated. I was just disoriented. Has that ever happened to you? How stupid I felt. I'm one of those idiots, you know, out on the road. Uh, the proverb says this, 14, There is a way which seemeth right to people, but the end of it is what? Death. That's right. The 350 people a year. It doesn't end there. One morning I went to work, and this was when our offices were in Arlington, and I decided to go get a cup of coffee at a time when I usually didn't get out and schools were in, and I was in a part of town with which I wasn't familiar, and I was coming back, and I entered a, a main road from the side where there weren't any school zone signs. In other words, I was in a school zone, but I didn't know it. And I was really proud of myself. I was going 30 miles an hour. I wasn't speeding. I was in a hurry to get back to the office. I was really proud. I was thinking to myself, boy, you know, usually I go a little faster than this. But I was going a moderate 30 miles an hour. And lo and behold, I looked up in my rearview mirror, and there was a blue light. A policeman pulled me over. He said, do you know why I pulled you over? I said, I have absolutely no idea. He said, you were speeding in a school zone 20 miles an hour. I said, what? And I pled ignorance, but I knew I was. I, well, I pled ignorance, and then he smiled. And I thought, ah. Uh. And then he pulled out his book and started writing the ticket. <laughs> Point is, ignorance of the law does not excuse breaking it, does it? I paid the ticket. I went to the school. I got my insurance discount and all of that. You're probably thinking I'm a terrible driver. You know? <laughs> 25,000 kids get injured in school zones every year. And over 100 get killed in America. So it's a serious matter. You know, the scripture says something about this in Acts 17. You know, Paul says that there was a time when God allowed this because people were ignorant. 
Therefore, having overlooked, however, he says, the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to humankind that all people should do what? Should repent. There's no excuse. And, of course, that's related to another passage in Romans 1, and we're not going to go there tonight. The text tonight, so the, the point is, there is a right way and there's a wrong way. And being ignorant of the law is no excuse. We have many, many people out there that do not know the law of God, don't know the Ten Commandments, don't know the law of Christ, which is to bear one another's burdens. They don't know the law of grace. And so I hope that as we work through this series over the next 10 or 11 weeks, and as you watch online, we will rediscover why God has given us the law and what it says to us. The situation in Deuteronomy 30 is the people of Israel are on the plains of Moab. It's after 40 years in the wilderness. Moses is about to go to Mount Nebo and die, and Israel is about to enter the promised land. Israel has just renewed the covenant with God in Deuteronomy, the 26th chapter, four chapters earlier. And directions have been given as to what they're to do in chapters 27 and 28. God tells Moses and Moses tells Israel, when we enter the promised land, we're going to go near where Jacob's well is. He didn't say that's where it was, but that's where it was indeed, between Mounts Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And we're to take huge stones that are not crafted out of the earth with iron tools. They have, been not touched, they have not been touched with human tools. Huge stones, and we're to coat them with lime, and we're then to write on them these laws that God has given us. That's significant because you know that's in Samaria, but it's not quite halfway, but it's right in the center, right in the heart of Canaan, right in the very middle. And so what's being said here is you are to put it in a prominent place so everybody can see these laws and remember them. And then you're to make burnt offerings and sacrifices. And the stones, interestingly enough, are to go on Mount Ebal. Now, if you know what that suggests, what does it suggest? Two mountains, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. One of them is a mount of curse and one is a mount of blessing. And they're to put it on the mount that is to warn against the curses and disobedience, to ward them off. And then you're to take six tribes, Reuben and Gad and Asher and Zebulun and Dan and Naphtali and stand them at at Mount Ebal. And then you're to take the other six tribes, Simeon and Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph and Benjamin and have them stand in front of Mount Gerizim. And you're to pronounce the curses and the blessings. There were 12 curses pronounced in front of Mount um, Ebal. There were 10 curses pronounced in front of Mount Gerizim. And then at the end of chapter 28, there's a recapitulation of all of the curses that will come upon Israel if they disobey God's law. Devastating conditions, pestilence, fever, fiery sword, fiery uh, and fire drought, blight, drought, uh, and famine. There's going to be disease, oppression, destruction, unproductivity, hostility of the neighbors is, uh, that they, uh, of the land that they enter. Eventually, if they disobey, it's going to end and they're being dispersed and going into captivity. And this is said even before they go into the promised land. And finally, as we talked about last Wednesday evening, what was the subject? What was the subject last Wednesday evening? Pestilence. Pestilence. 
And then in chapter 28, it closes this way. If you're not careful to observe all the words of this law, which are written in this book, to fear this honored and awesome name, the Lord our God, then the Lord will bring extraordinary plagues, that is, pestilence on your descendants, and everlasting plagues, and miserable and chronic sicknesses. Once again, I'm going to say the pandemic, I do not think is a direct act of God to punish us, but I think that he allows it. And isn't that, doesn't that echo true today? A continuing plague and chronic sickness. And then in chapters 29 and 30, they're told to take care to observe the covenant. And, and Moses then gives them a charge. He, he reviews the history of Israel in chapter 29, and then he issues warnings about what's going to happen. And it's as though, it's not as though, he's being prophetic. He warns not if, he says, when you rebel, when you then follow other gods, when you do, when you're disobedient, then the curses will come upon you. And as though those things are going to happen, he then gives a promise. He says, but God eventually will restore you from captivity and he will punish your oppressors. And we talked about that this morning, didn't we, in Isaiah 35, that God eventually opposed the oppressor and he freed those that were in captivity. And then Moses urged them wisely to obey the commandments. And that is the passage that we just read. The first generation has almost completely passed away. What had happened? In Exodus 19, they made a pledge to God that we will follow you. And then God gave the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. And then in Exodus 24, not long after that, then Israel affirmed the covenant vow that they made in Exodus 19. And then we have the golden calf incident. And it's interesting. I don't see in there really, it says that they repented, but you don't have the same kind of covenant commitment from Israel as a group in Exodus 34. What you have is Moses interceding and God saying that he will go with them. And in Exodus 34, there is a renewal of the covenant, but the renewal of the covenant comes from God. He says, I forgive you and I'm going to go with you. He tells them very clearly that obedience in the land of Canaan, obedience in the land of promise is going to be the key to their prosperity and their success. And of course, we talked about this this morning. Moses in Deuteronomy 31, near the end of the book, he says, if, if we obey God, then we don't have to fear because he goes with us. And those repeated promises that we covered this morning, three times, Joshua tells them to be strong and courageous that they must obey the law, don't deviate to the right or to the left. Be strong and very courageous, for you know the Lord your God goes with you and he will not forsake you. This passage begins by saying, the word is near you. Well, I'm going to summarize it that way. In verses 11 through 13, it really talks about the commandment. Um, what is this about the word being near us? Well, it begins with the commandment. The commandment is not what? It's not difficult. And a little bit earlier, Noah referred to that, okay? It's not difficult. It's not hard. And it's not far off. It's not unsearchable. Now, this is the commandment. I think what that's saying is the word difficult means they're hidden. It's no longer hidden. 
I mean, it's going to be emblazoned on this huge, these huge stones on Mount Ebal. It's not hidden. It's, it's been revealed. You know what the word, the commandment is. You see, before it had been hidden in eternity, the eternal word of God. Now it has re been revealed to them through Israel and through Moses. It's no longer far off. It's no longer unsearchable. It's not like it's across the sea. That is an alien concept from some alien culture to them in verse 13. And then he shifts gears. And it's a subtle shift, but it's an important one. He began by talking about the commandment. It's not difficult. It's not unsearchable. And then he says, what is near them? The message or, in fact, the word. So he shifts from commandment to word. Well, that's a pretty significant shift in verse number 14. You see, the word has been revealed through Israel, his people, his earthly priesthood. He would make them a nation of priests to proclaim his word to the other nations. So it goes beyond commandments. It's going to be boldly emblazoned on these stones, but it goes beyond commandments. The significance is this is the word of God, not just a commandment. It's not just those things that have been written on stone. It's not just impersonal rules. It's not just restrictions, what you don't do. The word here literally means the utterance. The spoken word of God has come to you. And so he personalizes this. And it's full of promises of blessing and also promises of cursing, if they obey or they disobey. And look at verse number 20. It says what? We're to obey. It doesn't say to obey the commandment. We're to obey the commandment, sure. But there it says to obey the what? Verse number 20. The voice of God. You see, it's personalized. And it says in verse 20, it doesn't say hold fast to the law, hold fast to the commandments. It says hold fast to Him. So this shift from the commandment, although the commandment is still valid, to the word is significant. And it's progressively revealed, even in the Old Covenant. For we know in Jeremiah 31 that that word of God is no longer going to be on just stones. It's the New Covenant, isn't it? And the New Covenant is not going to be written on tablets of stone, but it's going to be written on what? And the heart. And we will no longer have to teach. Well, we do follow God and we do follow His discipline. But we have been taught the Word and it has been put in our heart. And when it's put in our heart, it's not just observing tablets of stone that are on the mountainside. And of course, you know where I'm going with this. In the New Covenant, it is further progressively revealed. In the beginning was the commandment. Oh, yeah, it was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. We know the living word is Jesus Christ. And he then became flesh, and it says that he dwelt where? Among us. And we beheld his glory, even the glory of the only begotten full that was sent by the Father, full of grace and truth. So this word is among us. Jesus said himself, when he, de when he defined one in one of the I am statements, and this is rather a, a, an unusual statement. Most of the I am statements in the New Testament are found in the Gospel of John. But in Luke's Gospel, in the 22nd chapter, he says, I am, in other words, he's a representation of Jehovah, among you. And how does he represent himself? I am among you as a servant. So the Word is among us and the Word is in us. He came to do what? 
thinking about the commandments, you know, some would say, and I've even heard this from some Christians, we, we don't, we're not bound to follow the Ten Commandments. Have you ever heard that from some Christians? That's old covenant. We're not bound to follow the Ten Commandments. Now, I think to their credit, what they're trying to say is we need to follow Jesus. Well, if you follow Jesus, you follow the Ten Commandments. Because he said what? Do not think that I came to abolish or to destroy the, the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to do what? To fulfill. Did he fulfill them? Absolutely. How did he fulfill them? He followed all of God's law. He, he filled it full that way. He filled it full in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it said, but I say unto you. He explained it more fully. And he fulfilled it because prophetically it was said that there would be a once-for-all sacrifice that would pay for the sin of all humankind. And he fulfilled it in that way, in the, in the fullest possible way. So this is the word. Now, I don't think that Moses knew all that that was going to be when he speaks these words on behalf of God. But we do know that that's how it's progressively revealed. So when we talk about the Ten Commandments over the next ten weeks, it's not just rules that are written in a book or on stone. It is about then the revelation of the very Word of God that we have in our heart. And following who interprets it? Well, we interpret it as we read it through the illumination of the Holy Spirit. But what is the standard by which we then interpret it? It's not a what. It's Scripture that determines the interpretation of Scripture. And who is the one then that helps us to understand that? Who is the guide? It is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself who is the living Word. What are the reasons for the commands? And um, Noah, once again, uh, addressed some of these things. And uh, also Chris did, and also Joel did at the very beginning. So I'm going to say it a fourth time, okay? You know, there are a lot of negative perceptions about the Ten Commandments and the law of God. God doesn't, uh, God doesn't want us to have any fun, you know? <laughs> uh, he doesn't want us to enjoy life. You know, we can't do this. We can't do that. It, it's not that God wants to restrict us or punish us. That, that's, that's not the purpose. Uh, there, there's some people that see them as a, a group, a, a bunch of legalistic restrictions. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do anything pleasurable or gratifying. No, don't do anything that is only self-gratifying. Don't do things that are hedon, hedonistically opposed to what God says is good for you. So there are don'ts there. But when people talk about the negativity of the Ten Commandments, they miss the central point. What are the purposes of the Ten Commandments? I'm going to list three purposes, and then I'm going to talk about three reasons. The purposes are kind of what I've understood them to be from the context of Scripture. The three reasons are explicitly found in this text. Three purposes, I think, is God wants to accomplish His perfect will, and He does it partly through issuing the commandments. And what is that perfect will? Ultimately, uh, there's an R word here, and... Uh, Mark, what is it? Redemption. redemption. He wants to redeem his creation, and he wants to redeem all of it, not just humankind, but the whole creation. And so his commandments help him accomplish that. He does it for our own benefit, for our own good. He knows what is best for you and me. Why? Because he made us. He knows what's best for us. And he also wants... Um, he also wants to make us into what James talks about. When we go through all kinds of trial and tribulation, our faith is strengthened and we, we endure. And he makes us into that what? Perfect person. What is it to be a perfect person? 
Oh, legalistically, I don't do this and I don't do that. No, we all sin. To be a perfect person means what? To become what God created you to be. And he has a special plan for each of you. And they all fit within these Ten Commandments. I think those are purposes for the Ten Commandments. But the reasons are found very explicitly outlined in verse 16 and verse 20. Let me read verse 16 again and and, and listen for the three reasons that are there. I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. Did, did I emphasize them strongly enough? What are the three reasons? Command to do what? Love God. That's one reason for the Ten Commandments. How do we show that we love God? One way is we do what? We obey the commandments, okay? Another one is that you may what? Live and multiply. They're about life and not death. And then finally, that the Lord may what? Bless you. Well, if you think that maybe uh, there might be two or three others somewhere else or I've misread it, he, he reinforces that in verse number 20. Look at verse number 20. By loving the Lord your God, there it is, by obeying his voice, and there it is, we, we love him by obeying it, and by holding fast to him, for this is your what? Life, you see, living in the length of your days. And then the last one about being blessed is couched in the terms of dwelling in the land that the Lord promised to your fathers. In other words, they're going into the land of promise and the land flowing with milk and honey. They're to enjoy it. God is going to bless them. But one of the conditions for success in the promised land is to do what? To be obedient. Three reasons. Positive reasons, friends, why we have the Ten Commandments. To show that we love God and to have a loving relationship with Him that we might have life and not death, that we might have not cursings, but then finally, blessings. So to love God. The basis of God's covenant is not just rules on a stone. It's relational, isn't it? God called Israel not to be a regimented army of soldiers, although he did call them to be a kingdom of priests. He called them to be what? My own possession. It's relational. He wanted to be their loving God. In Deuteronomy 10, it says this, Yet the Lord set his heart and love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples, Moses says, to this very day. Why did he choose Israel? Because he loved them. Wow. Why did God choose you? he loves you. Isaiah 43, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, I love you, he says to Israel. Jeremiah 31, the new covenant. I have loved you, and you know this passage, I have loved you with what? An everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued to be faithful to you always. So he loves us. That's the basis of the commandments, and that's why he gives them to us, and we are to love him by showing our obedience. So where are those enumerated in the Ten Commandments? As we work through them, which commandments really express, I know they all express our love to God, but especially which ones? The first four, right? The first table of the law. We do what? We have no other gods before him. He's the only God. We make no graven images, no idols. He is the only God. 
we do not take the name of the Lord our God, what? In vain. And we remember the Sabbath and we keep it holy. Now in the New Covenant, we interpret the Sabbath for us as being the first day, the Lord's day. And there are different opinions about that, even in, in Christian circles. But the idea is to observe the day of the Lord. And it's summarized in the Shema, you know that. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your might. And Jesus then summarizes it, doesn't he? When the lawyer asks him, what are the greatest of the commandments? And he says, the first of these is to do that. So to love. The second reason is to live. The word life and the word live are found seven times in these ten verses. And it's not just living to subsist. It's not just barely getting along. It's living to flourish. For you look at verse number 16, it says, so that you might live and what? In verse number 16, you might live and what? Multiply. What, what does this remind us of? Genesis 1. God has created Adam and Eve in the first creation account, and he blesses them, and then God says to them, be fruitful and what? And multiply, flourish, fill the earth, and then become good stewards of it and subdue it properly. So it's not just about subsisting. God wants us to flourish. Not the prosperity gospel of, of self-gratification, but he wants us to flourish. He doesn't want us just to live. He wants us and just to survive. He wants us to have a legacy that goes beyond it. Look at verse number 20. So that your days will be long in the land that I'm giving you. The length of your days. He wants them to have a longer legacy and to live longer, but also, too, in verse number 19, it's not just for them, but for their what? For their descendants. This isn't just for you. It's for your children. I'm 70 years old. Some of you are just at the beginning of the fruit-bearing age. Some of you carrying the fruit of the womb even today. This is a promise for the yet unborn generations, not just for us that our days might be longer upon this land that God has given us, and it might be a gift that we share with our descendants. How to live and to flourish then. Where do we find the commandments that have to do with that? This really has to do with how we relate to one another. It also has to do with how we relate to God, but it has more to do with the second part, the second table of the Ten Commandments. To honor your father and your mother. And what does it say? That your days might be elongated. They might be prolonged. Wow. You see how that connects. And then do not murder. Do not what? Help me here. Ah, maybe this is why we're doing it. Okay. Do not commit what? Adultery. Adultery. I see I've got my notes here. Okay. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. And do not what? Covet. Covet what? Anything from anybody else. Yeah. And it's summarized in the Levitical command of Leviticus 19, 19.18. And you know what it says then. It summarizes several commands that have come before it. And he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so when Jesus answers the, depends on which account it is, the, the lawyer or the, the, the scribe and the temple, he, said, he, not, he not only says what's the greatest of all commands, the most important one, he says, and the second is likened to the first, and that is that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what his ministry was about. It was about honoring God and loving God, but most of his ministry is about teaching. The Sermon on the Mount is about doing this, isn't it? 
the parable of the sheep and the goats? Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these brethren of mine, you have done it unto me. And his words, once again, the words, speaking his word, he says, and my words are what? Life in John 6. The words that I give in following the commandments of my Father are life unto you, and they bring spirit and life. And I think these are all summarized in the Old Testament. You could reduce them down to what Micah says. You know what I'm going to say. What does God expect from us? If you take all of the second table of the law and compress it, he wants us to do what? To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You know, it's hard to measure the effect of the vi violating the Ten Commandments in precise uh, terms, you know, in, in statistical terms. How many people in this nation tonight will commit adultery? I mean, we don't keep statistics on that. <laughs> How many lies will be told? <laughs> we don't know, but we do know something. We, know, we do know pretty much how many people have been murdered. The Ten Commandments are to bring life. In 2020, last year, over 20,000 murders were committed, as far as we know, in the United States alone, or 25% over 2019. And in the first six months of this, this year, 2021, there was an increase of 16% over that and an increase of 43% over 2019. Who, who does that affect? I, how many people does that affect? Well, you know, uh, sociologists tell us that, and, and I know some of these are children that don't have as wide a circle of friendships, but most people have a circle of friendships that extends to about how many people? It depends on how, how active you are on Facebook, I know. How many friends do you have? All those aren't friends. Come on, get real. It's been the same since the Middle Ages, folks. It's about 200. About 200. Now do your math. 200 times 20,000 is 4 million people. In 2020, at least 4 million people probably, their lives were devastated and torn apart because of a violation of this one commandment. And I don't even need to, but I'm going to talk about Roe versus Wade. Since 1963, over 62 and a half million children, unborn children, have been murdered. Folks, that is unconscionable. Do you know how many people that is? That's equivalent to the population of Texas, Florida, and Georgia. Wow. If you start at the bottom of the states in terms of size and work up, it's the population of the bottom 27 states. And you may say, well, those states aren't really that big. But let me tell you, folks, the Electoral College from those states represents about 50% of what it takes to elect the president. That's how many people we're talking about. And it's not just numbers. Every one of those lives is precious in the sight of the Lord. And you just multiply this. Adultery, stealing, lying, covetousness, greed that causes social oppression and injustice. God gives us these commandments so that we might do what? We might love one another and we might live in harmony and bring godly peace to his land. And then finally, to be blessed. To be blessed. To love God, to live, and to be blessed. The promise is that we will live long in God's land of promise. And you see in verse number 16, he, he actually uses the word bless. 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 It's important for us to bless people when we enter their house. It's important for us to bless people at work. May the Lord bless you. 
and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you what? Peace. He speaks about verse number 19, blessing. You know, blessing, we, we tend to interpret blessings, and, and it is that, the things that we get, but it ought to be the things that we give when we meet people. When you bless somebody, it literally means it's a salutation of peace. It's saying to that person, you're safe with me. When you bless your partner in your marriage, you're saying to your partner, you're safe with me. It's the blessing of God's peace upon the family. It's summarized in Deuteronomy 28. The Lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns and all that you put your hand to, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. He has blessed us in that way, and he wants to share those blessings. The purpose is, why? Not to just bless Israel. He wanted them to be a kingdom of priests, and in so doing, bless others. He blessed them so that they might bless others. It says in Deuteronomy 28, in verse 10, So all the peoples of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord, but call by the name of Yahweh, call by the name of Jehovah, call by the name of the I Am who is the I Am, and they will be in awe of you. Not because it was important for Israel to be held in awe, but that their God was revered. Israel was blessed to be a blessing. This, is, this fulfills Genesis 12. Abram was called so that he would be a blessing to what? All nations. Jesus in the, ten, on, on the, uh, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes are what? They're blessings. And why did he do that? He blessed them so that they might bless others. With life comes prosperity in verse 15. Prosperity is not the prosperity gospel. We know that. The prosperity gospel is just the exact opposite of what God intended. You see, the prosperity gospel does what? It tests God. It puts God to the test. And you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. No, this is the word tob. It means prosperity. It means good. God wants for us that which is pleasant, that which is agreeable, that which is beneficial. We spoke about this last week in Psalm 103. What are the benefits of God? Bless my soul and all that was within me. Bless his holy name. Bless him for all the benefits. What are the benefits? He pardons iniquities. He heals diseases. He redeems us from the pit. He crowns us with loving kindness and compassion. He satisfies us with tobe, with good things. And he renews our strength like the eagle. And he promised this through Moses. Moses in Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, even though it's in the early part of the chapter, it's still one on the plains of Moab. You remember what he said? When you go into the land where there are splendid cities you did not build, where there are houses filled with good things that you did not fill, where there are wells that you did not dig, where there are vineyards and there are olive groves that you did not plant, he doesn't say don't enjoy. He says enjoy it. But when you do, do not forget the Lord your God who gave it to you and do not put him to the test. Keep his commandments. And Joshua then reiterates that. Summarizes, I think, this last point about blessing. He tells them to be strong and to be courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, has commanded you. Don't turn where? To the left? Don't turn to the right. Actually, he did it the other way around. Don't turn to the right or to the left. So that you may have what? Success wherever you may go.
You see, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all according to what is written in it. For then your way will be prosperous, and then you will have success. If you want to know what the prosperity gospel is, it's simply this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, and God will bless you. God will bring peace in your midst. And then finally, we have a clear-cut choice to make. Obedience brings life, and disobedience brings what? Death. Three times uh, Israel's given this option in this passage. Look at verse 15. Either life and prosperity or death and what? Adversity. In verses 16 through 18, walk in his ways and live or disobey and perish. Verse number 19, either have life and blessing or death and the curse. He gave them a choice. And today in our society, we have a lot of folks going the wrong way. They may be disoriented. They may not see the signs. They may be ignorant. But God says to us in America today, there is no excuse. The word is in your midst. It's proclaimed every, hopefully, hopefully, every Sunday and throughout the week, not just in the pulpits of this land, but also at work. If you're a witness for Jesus Christ at work, the word is proclaimed because the word is near you. It is in you and you live it out. You embody it. You show people what the word of God is. It is really embedded in the laws of our nation. Not all of them, not in Roe versus Wade, but a lot of our nations are founded on the basis of the Ten Commandments. Even the Constitution of the United States, the purpose of the Constitution of the United States is to secure the blessings of liberty. Let me ask you, is a blessing something we earn? No. A blessing is given to us. By whom? We're endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Wow. You see, it's even embedded in our national law. People who claim ignorance today are without excuse. One of the reasons that we're doing this series is that you might know that God loves you, calls you into a living relationship. God wants you to have life and not death. And God wants to bless you immeasurably. Let's pray.